Hello, welcome to Runtime Babe. My name is Rowan Wood. My name is Davis Mathis, <laughs> and we're dating. <laughs> I forgot uh, that I, in our in the rehearsal for our intro, which apparently we do now, I didn't say my last name, and I just came right out and said my last name. And how fair was that to Davis, who wasn't expecting to say his last name at all? Yeah, but I, I didn't... We've never said our last names. I mean, I probably once or twice. Yeah. But. I just recorded another podcast less than two hours ago, and I say my full name for that one. So <laughs> it was still stuck in my mind. Well, anyway, this is my boyfriend, Rowan Wood. I'm That's Davis me. Mathis. Um, yeah. Welcome to Runtime, babe. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Today, we are going to do like a retrospective deep dive on the film being John Malkovich, written by Charlie Kaufman, directed by Spike Jones. Um, this is a movie that I first saw a couple of years ago with my dad during COVID. Uh, we watched Adaptation, which is another Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones movie. Loved it. Loved this one as well. It's like a really cool surrealist comedy. Um, so so you also watched Adaptation first? Actually, no. I think I watched Being John Malkovich first, ah, and then I watched Adaptation. So we had we had the reverse experience. I mean, uh, I know you love Adaptation, like love, love, love it so mm -hmm. much that like you, you really wanted to show it to me. And Being John Malkovich was not a, it was not something that you were like, that you were rushing to show me. Yeah, it wasn't like an ultra priority. Adaptation right. has been in my letterbox top four. I love adaptation. Mm -hmm. I liked being John Malkovich just as much, if not more, on the rewatch than I did when I first saw it. But anyway, mm -hmm. so I've seen this movie a few years ago. I really wanted to show Rowan adaptation. And then when he said being John Malkovich was on his list, I was like, I need to watch that with you too. Yeah. Um, so Rowan just saw it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Is it a couple of weeks ago? Oh my god. Uh yeah, yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. Wow. It feels like more recently Crazy. than that. No, I I was about to say it feels farther away than than a few. Oh, weeks sorry, ago. that's what I meant. It, yeah. <laughs> but um but we watched Rowan. Rowan has had it on the he's had a Criterion edition. So we watched it, and then afterwards, we watched a little bit of, like, behind-the-scenes production stuff, and we said, this movie is so cool conceptually, which we'll get into what the movie's about, um, and we thought it'd be really awesome to do, like, a deep dive and learn more about this film and how it got made because it's one of those movies that you watch and you're like how like who how did everyone get on the same page with this no how did everyone and, agree and is everyone on the same page in the final product yeah yeah that's a good question um yeah it's it's one of those movies that i feel like could have easily slipped into that realm of um everyone wanted it to be made but it never was and i'm very very glad that it was because i you know this was pretty instrumental in launching Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones's uh, careers. Um, so without this movie, we may not have uh, all of the stuff, like like everything that they've contributed um, to the world of film and 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 pop culture. So it is important in that sense as well. Absolutely. I so I already kind of touched on your history with this movie, which is. Mm -hmm. You owned it, but hadn't seen it yet. Yes, as I am wont to do. I own, <laughs> so There are so many movies behind me that I have not seen yet, but have been on my shelf for perhaps a, a year or more. Um, but do you have any history with Charlie Kaufman as a writer or director or Spike Jones as a director that is worth mentioning? Um, Other than us seeing Adaptation a few months ago together right. because I made you watch it. I mean, you I wanted to. I but. did, I did. Um, I have not seen a single movie that Charlie Kaufman has directed. Uh, mm -hmm. I have seen um, three movies uh, that he's written, and that is John Malkovich adaptation and Eternal Sunshine. Um, I saw Eternal Sunshine. I think that was that was his first that I saw. That that was over a year ago. Um, at this point, so that was my first real um, exposure to him. But I haven't seen a lot of his stuff, um, which I his his um 
films fall into the category for me of like just generally movies that i i dig the concept more than the execution which isn't to say that i didn't like the execution of any of his movies that i've seen i just think the concept is so genius and so uh and and so fantastic that it's 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 almost impossible for a like for a piece of visual media to to live up to it um but being john malkovich i think is 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 my favorite of of his movies that i've seen so far um we haven't seen synecdoche new york yet or um i'm thinking of ending things i I haven't seen that one either but um definitely ones that i want to get to at some point from what i've heard and i don't think i've seen something that charlie kaufman has directed either but from Mm -hmm. what i've heard so he like really thrives in surrealism and mm-hmm. he's a very distinct style of comedy that like almost doesn't read as comedy on the surface but like it is mm-hmm. like there's like there will be jokes and you'll laugh and you'll be like that is funny but it doesn't register in your mind as like oh that's a joke you know like it's very his comedies are very different than a lot of comedies you watch and they're very conceptual and also they're very drama filled like it's a it's not a straight comedy right but from what i've heard when he directs because he a lot of his ideas are so incredibly high concept if he is given too much creative freedom to both write and direct there becomes a lot less clarity and so from what I've heard, a lot of his best work are like these ones directed by Spike Jones, where he wrote it and was part of the creative process, but didn't have full creative control. Because I've heard like I'm thinking of ending things is cool and it's not poorly done, but it is just like so surrealist that you almost are like, what's even the point? Like what's mm-hmm. happening? Right. I can't Again, that's just me talking, like repeating yeah. things I've heard other people say. Yeah, no, without not, having seen you are not an original thinker. You only think <laughs> thoughts that other people have uh, yeah. have thought first. Uh, and in terms of Spike Jones, I've seen adaptation John Malkovich and her. I think all three of which we watched together. Um, so I don't. I, I've e- you know an equal amount of history with Spike Jones. Um, needless to say, I do think he's a very good director, uh, and I would like to see more of his stuff as well. Hmm. Hmm um so let's just like really quickly uh first of all i would recommend you go watch mm-hmm. being john malkovich definitely I, it is worth the watch mm-hmm. even if you're not super into like surrealism it is i would say grounded enough that like you can still understand what's happening <laughs> And I think I think the comedy is also pretty helpful in keeping an audience on board. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't enjoy the film itself, like the concept alone is enough to keep you engaged because you'll just spend the whole time being like, who thought of this and how? Right. Um, but so I think we're going to get into a little bit of spoiler territory. Mm-hmm. most likely in giving our trivia and stuff like that so if you really don't want anything spoiled for you go ahead and go watch the film and then listen to this episode yes. but i don't think there are going to be any spoilers that ruin the movie experience if a that's something also, a lot of things that we're talking about aren't going to make sense if you haven't seen this movie. Like, this is a movie where you really have to see it to believe it, that it's actually mm-hmm. happening. And uh, so I'd say that it, it's worth it for that experience alone, to just experience everything firsthand instead of experience everything after we after you've heard us talking about yeah. it. But also, if you have no interest in seeing the film at all, and you just want to, like, kind of learn about it, just for some... To be able to, like, parrot these facts back to film girls at parties you know yeah that that's our target audience people who want to who want to impress uh impress people yeah 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 um so being john malkovich the basic premise is um a man named craig at a new job and actually it was 
Charlie Kaufman had two different ideas that he combined into one screenplay. The ideas were one film about a man having an affair with someone at his workplace. Well, you're stealing which, my stealing my thunder. <laughs> oh, you had this same fact. Oh my god, this, I'm sorry. It's, this is a uh, yeah. It's it's part of the production. Anyway, go on, go on. Um, but then the other idea he had was uh, someone finding a portal into someone else's brain. Mm-hmm. So it's about a man named Craig who falls in love with a woman at his workplace despite having a serious girlfriend and at his workplace also discovering a portal that allows you into the head of actor john malkovich and essentially once you're in there you can pretty much just spectate what's going on in john malkovich's life in real time but the main character realizes that as a puppeteer, which is his other, like the, his other profession, other than like office worker, which is how he's making money, as a failed puppeteer, he is able to kind of puppet John Malkovich's body. So he can, has some control over how John Malkovich acts and speaks when he's in there but almost everyone else just can go in for 10 minutes see the world as john malkovich and then leave yeah it's a it's it's a brilliant premise and one that if you heard it offhand as as not necessarily a movie just as an idea i feel like your first thought would be how the hell are you going to pull this off yes Um, and it's actually crazy i think how well it does get yes exactly and how nuanced as well like it doesn't just go for the obvious um you know like uh well to to some extent it does uh go for you know like like how it feels to be inside someone else's skin and like identity and like it does tackle a lot of those but it's also just a lot more um it, it 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 goes much further in depth than i think one would imagine it does yeah, it um, hits the beats you'd expect, but it goes to yeah. places you wouldn't expect either. Yes. Which yeah. I think is a strength. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, this sort of like surreal dramedy is exactly how I like my 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 surreal uh, when like when it comes to live action movies. And I think Barbie is another like it's a recent release that did this really well, um, albeit in t- an, like an entirely different realm. Um, but it 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 threads the the comedy in with like the genuine human moments um mm-hmm. while staying in a in a world that feels very similar to our own and yet removed from it be- because of how people act primarily yes and i love that because it's not just this portal into john malkovich's world that distinguishes the world in the film we're seeing from mm-hmm the world we would live in because there's like there's just a lot of things that are off about the characters in general like there's a man that is convinced he has a speech impediment that is so bad that no one will be able to understand him and he doesn't (laughs) he just speaks like an everyday human being and is constantly like i'm so sorry about my speech impediment i know i'm impossible to understand (laughs) and it's like funny but also just like what is going on also the floor that they work on in this office building is called the seven and a half floor and it is shorter than all the others it's like half height so everyone's just hunched over the whole time Mm -hmm. on this really short floor and none of that really has anything to do with this portal into john malkovich's mind these are just Mm -hmm. like other things going on yeah yeah um should i start going through the production history and we can sort of talk about what we like about the movie based on what i bring up totally and i'll i'll hop in with some cool facts on Um, the way yeah i should uh i should say um this movie stars uh john cusack as craig uh, and also features Catherine Keener, um, Cameron Diaz, who I did not recognize at first, but that was the intention. Actually, uh, one of the fun facts I found, mm-hmm. when Cameron Diaz got put in the Lottie costume and mm-hmm. makeup, crew members couldn't recognize her yeah. and thought she was a stranger that was mm-hmm. there for the day. Yeah. 
So not recognizing Cameron Diaz was goes deep in this movie. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, and of course, John Malkovich appears as John Horatio Malkovich. Which is not his real name in real life. Yeah. His name is like, I, I have it written down. It's, it's John Gavin Malkovich is his real name. But <laughs> in the film, his name is John Horatio Malkovich. Interesting. Interesting. Nothing is um, by accident in in this movie like like no creative choice just happens like like everything feels very intentional which also lends to like lends itself very well to the to the surrealism um anyway uh so uh this movie originated as as davis mentioned as two separate ideas um and uh basically charlie kaufman wanted to make a movie as a story uh, about a man who falls in love with someone who is not his wife you know simple enough um and he you know he added uh more elements as it went on uh his favorite one was the floor seven and a half of the merton flemmer building um but among those original ideas there was no john malkovich uh that was not something that was present in the early drafts um so he wrote it um on spec in 1994 and uh it was read just basically across the industry every movie studio every major executive uh this movie came across their desk and of course they all turned it down um and yeah it actually wasn't supposed to get made he didn't write it thinking it would get made Mm -hmm. he was working as a television writer at that point and it was made as like a spec to try to get hired pretty much right but caught some attention of a lot of people that were like didn't want to make it but did recognize its genius mm-hmm. definitely um he did send it to francis ford coppola uh in the early 90s uh who then passed it d- down to his uh daughter's then boyfriend spike jones who at that point had only made some some short films um so jones first read the script in 1996 and then by the following year wanted to direct it uh so this was at this point moving pretty fast this movie came out i think in 98 or 99 i do not mm-hmm. remember off the top I of think, my head i feel like 99 but i'm not positive it is on 99 that. indeed i need to ask you what the runtime is oh yes um well spoiler alert for the audience we this is our second attempt at recording we had some uh internet failure last time um uh it is 113 minutes yeah you're right i believe my guess last time was 116 and it was wrong and i've learned Mm -hmm. from my mistakes since uh but anyway this eventually came out uh october 29th uh uh october 29th 1999 in the united states but anyway moving on um so um Jones took the script to Propaganda Films, which agreed to produce it, uh, and they um, they tried to find a studio that would give them funding, uh, and they brought it across. Um, they brought it to New Line Cinema, which was then run by uh, by Robert Shea, who has gained a lot of fame for um, basically funding and believing in uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street and and basically making that project a reality and Mm. he said and i quote why the fuck can it be can it be being tom cruise uh which i think is great and he missed the entire point of why it's john malkovich in the first place um also yeah on that note so charlie kaufman had no backup actors Mm -hmm. he only wanted john malkovich and john malkovich read it loved it didn't want to be in it, but offered to help produce it, help with the project if a different actor was used. And he also suggested Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Charlie Kaufman said no, if like he just wanted John Malkovich to do yeah. it and pretty much just wore him down. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons Kaufman really, really wanted John Malkovich is because he loved the way the name Malkovich sounds if you say it a ton <laughs> of times, which there's a scene where that happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, John Malkovich uh, said, either the movie's a bomb and it's got not only my name above the title, but my name in the title, so I'm fucked that way, or it does well and I'm just forever associated with this character, which is, I think, half true. I think he is, like... If you say John Malkovich and and anyone knows their salt when it comes to movies, I feel like most people are going to think of this movie. But also, I feel like that's not the worst fate that you could suffer. Um, when and it I don't comes think it's like named after his you. only legacy. Exactly, which I think is cool. And and it, I think it succeeded the exact right amount for him. 
you know mm-hmm. like it didn't blow up into like the biggest thing ever so it's the only thing you think of when you think of john malkovich mm-hmm. but also it is very well loved like it yeah it's it's regarded as a, a an important and good surrealist film and is somewhat of a cult classic so yes. i think that's kind of like best case scenario mm-hmm. to be the titular role yeah i'd say this movie is like th- the most popular a cult classic can be yeah it's probably too popular to be a cult classic i don't know i mean uh, like a cult classic is a movie that wasn't necessarily received as well when it came out as it is now and i feel like how it's received back then is pretty much on par with how it is now it's just not a super big movie now yeah yeah not that it necessarily was back then either but it wasn't like it didn't fail at the box office either it, like yeah it was, it, like it, it was a it was a modest uh success i think it it grossed let me look it grossed 23 million on a budget of 13 which is like pretty low so I guess maybe like pretty low relatively while still making a profit. So I guess you could kind of loop into that. In, into yeah. That when, and it's very whatever. clear when you watch it, this film is not made to be a commercial success. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think anyone on this project was like, we got the blockbuster of the summer, baby. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's prioritizing art over like appealing to the biggest possible audience or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, John Cusack uh, read the film script after he had asked his agent to present him with the, quote, craziest, most unproducible script you can <laughs> find. And this was, you know, this was the cream of the crop when it came to that at the point uh, at that time. Uh, and so he was pretty impressed with the script and he asked his, his agent to uh, to book him an audition, which, of course, got him the role. Um Catherine Keener uh, cited being John Malkovich as an instance of her taking up a role based on the director's previous work, um, which is interesting because Spike Jones hadn't really done anything uh, before this. But she um, had heard about his experience with music videos and took up the part of, of, of Maxine, although she initially disliked the character and didn't and didn't feel that she was right for the part. We're going to get to this, but she was subsequently nominated for an Oscar. So it paid off pretty well for her. Um <laughs> Charlie, as as you mentioned, Davis, Charlie Kaufman said that there was never another actor um, who uh, who could take up John Malkovich's part. He said, and I quote, the screenplay was always being John Malkovich, even before I had any expectation that John Malkovich would even read the script. So I'm so curious as to what it could have been if Malkovich hadn't read it or had, God forbid, said no. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, so this movie was uh, released, um, It well, it premiered at the Venice Film Festival in 1999, and it was given a limited release in theaters in uh, October 1999, and opened across 25 screens, which is not a lot at all. Uh, that's, you know, that's what a lot of um, big awards movies do these days. They open one week, one or two weeks ahead of everywhere else um, on maybe 15, 20 screens in the country. Like, that's what the Fablemans did. It's what Licorice Pizza did. And mm-hmm. then they release widely um, later on. In the case of John Malkovich, it was uh, one week later, October 29th, um, that it um, that it went wide. Um, and it was, as I mentioned before, it was a modest, uh, success when it, like when it came to the box office, it made 10 million, um, of its, uh, it, it, it made 10 million past its budget, which is not terrible, especially since this is 1999 money. Um, and it was released on VHS in 2000, which is crazy. Um, oh yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, probably not for people who are listening. Exactly. If you're yeah. adults yeah. or older adults than we are. Yeah, supposed to be like VHS. VHS, weird. I mean, I know my family had a lot of VHS. I I think we still have a lot of VHSs. We just can't play them. Um, I have have distinct player memories of like as a kid watching like Disney films on VHS, like Mm -hmm. a Snow White VHS. Yeah, stuff like that. But that is like from when I was very young, and Mm -hmm. then those were not a huge part of my life. Yeah, and we own Um, none anymore. Yeah, that is fair. I think we have like our old Star Wars ones, which might be worth something. <laughs> um, but uh, it was released on DVD the same year. So it was at that point where VHS and DVD were going out at the same time. Uh, but it was released on HD um, on DVD until 2008. And then the Criterion uh, Collection released their Blu-ray in 2012. Mm. Um, so, um, 
Yes. Uh, so that was, you know, it's not like I, I wasn't focusing on the fun facts aspect of it. And I'm sure Davis has a lot more interesting um, things to, uh, uh, to point out. But I also want to um, shout out some of the cameos that are in this movie, which I was not expecting at all. Like Brad mm-hmm. Pitt pops up for three seconds. Um which is so like, which is hilarious because like the last person you're expecting to be in a scene in this movie is Brad Pitt. Um, Sean Penn appears as himself. Uh, David Fincher uh, makes uh, an appearance director, David Fincher in the, uh, in the pseudo documentary on John Malkovich and um, Winona Ryder and uh, Andy Dick are also in the audience of the puppet show of the Malkovich puppet show in that documentary as well, which is just crazy. Um, Considering like, if this movie were made these days, which we're going to get to, uh, I feel like a lot more fanfare would be paid to these cameos because that's how cameos work nowadays in like mm-hmm. in, in studio films. But but back then, it, clearly it was like it was just not a big deal for them to, you know, maybe they were just visiting the set one day and they decided to 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 pop in. When well, uh, what's very yeah. funny is like these cameos weren't like. Like, you know, some cameos are just for, like, fan service. Mm-hmm. These are, like, plot-necessary cameos, almost. Right. Like, to show how big... So, later in the film, John Malkovich's body is taken over by Craig. That's his name, right? I didn't mm-hmm. make that up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Taken over by Craig, the puppeteer, and he kind of changes john malkovich's career from actor to like world famous puppeteer using his uh, the fact that people already know his name and respect him and stuff and there's a reaction like a ton of other celebrities or like he just becomes ultra famous and just kind of changes the pop culture landscape (laughs) and so you need big celebrities either being in awe of john malkovich or like reacting to this career pivot and so a lot of these cameos are just as long as they need to be and are very accurate to like what they would look like in the real world like being at the audience of his show or like speaking about him in a documentary really quick or something like Mm -hmm. that or just being like seen on a red carpet near him like things like that and so i think it's really fun because the movie doesn't make a very big deal about them like definitely they come and go pretty fast and serve their purpose plot wise which i really enjoy yeah um and uh so i think that we should take a couple minutes and just talk about john malkovich the person um Mm -hmm. who is who is of course playing a, a a fictionalized version of himself um in this movie um, but like, do you have any opinion on John Malkovich, like the actor in general? Not really. Ha- I mean, like, like, have you seen anything else that he's been in? Um, yes, I believe I should look up. Like, let me look up John Malkovich on Letterboxd and see what else I've seen that he's mm-hmm. done. Because I don't think it's been a lot. Like, the things yeah. that stick out to me are this. And Adaptation, which in Adaptation, it's about a character named Charlie Kaufman, played by Nick Cage. That's That whole film is about Charlie Kaufman, the character, trying to adapt a book called The Orchid Thief that writer Charlie Kaufman in real life was given to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a scene in Adaptation where the Charlie Kaufman character is on set of his movie that's being filmed being john malkovich and so john malkovich appears in adaptation for that cameo yeah so when i think of him i really think of being john malkovich in adaptation but i've i get i suppose i've also seen him in uh, let me see secretariat though i don't really remember that too terribly much i saw that when i was pretty young have i seen him in anything else it's very possible that it's just those two and Secretariat. Yeah. What, what about you? Secretariat. Oh, um, uh, Mice and Men. That is oh, the yeah. other one. that I didn't realize it was him. Mm-hmm. He plays Lenny in Of Mice yeah. and Men. I've seen that as well. And it t- 
took me a sec to connect the dots that that is actually John Malkovich. But I would say that was probably my earliest exposure to him as an actor. Yes. Um, I, uh, so actually it was kind of perfect. I was sort of surrounded by John Malkovich the first time we were trying to record this episode because I was in the middle of watching Bird Box, which he is in. And I have a DVD of Shadows of the Vampire uh, in which he plays F.W. Murnau, uh, director of Nosferatu, sitting on my desk right now. Um, but uh, I have not seen a ton of, of movies that he's in. I've, of course, seen Bird Box, Malkovich adaptation. Uh, he is in, apparently, in Transformers Dark Side of the Moon. I don't remember who he plays, but that was a not great movie. Um, he was in Penguins of Madagascar. He cameoed in Zoolander 2. And, of course, he was in Of Mice and Men as well. But most of the movies that I have on here um, that uh, that I've seen that he's in are cameos, um, mm. which I think does speak to, like, the public perception of John Malkovich a little bit. Like, I feel like his name is recognizable enough, but in terms of, I feel like more people would, would recognize him than have seen him in things. Oh, he starred in space force, the Netflix show, which I watched all two seasons of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he was pretty funny in that. Um, but uh, yeah, I've always thought he was a pretty interesting, like, the idea of him, I think, is very interesting with his accent that's kind of hard to nail down, despite him mm-hmm. being from, like, Idaho or Ohio or wherever wherever he's from, like, the Midwest, um, which I just think is is very interesting because his voice is so distinctive, uh, but it's just, like, a, like a regional accent that happens to be attached to, like, like an actor who, is, who has been in things. Yeah. Um, I think, I'm trying to think. So, Of Mice and Men is probably one of his more famous performances, mm-hmm. other than this. But this performance is especially interesting to me because he has to do so many things at once. Like, he's simultaneously the straight man, in a way, as the person who's being affected and is being like violated, pretty much. Like, people are spying on his life and in his head without him knowing. And so he reacts in like a, this is insane and weird and you people are crazy and you're behaving in completely inappropriate ways. So like being kind of the straight man in that sense. But then he also has to play himself with various other characters inside of his mind, which is like a really interesting concept. And I, he does such a great job. I love seeing the switch between him being so furious, like, who are you people? What are you doing to me? What's going on? To once Craig has been in his body for a really long time and he's playing the Craig version of John Malkovich and he has like this horrible haircut and <laughs> is like just totally wacky and is a world famous puppeteer now. Like, all of that like it's it's really interesting to see him do all of that especially because when he's being john malkovich john horatio malkovich the fictional character in the truest form he behaves pretty reasonably and so that's kind of how i assumed john malkovich must be in real life despite the fact that there's no basis for this. Like Charlie of Kaufman course. had never met him and did not know how he acted in real life. I feel like this is how a normal person would react when presented with these circumstances. Yeah. And so to see him act as himself as a normal person and then to later see him act as himself being essentially possessed by like this super eccentric, creepy puppeteer man. <laughs> it is really cool to see because you're like this guy from earlier agreed to do all this stuff. Yeah. John Malkovich himself actually said that the only part of his real life at all reflected by the film was his wardrobe. <laughs> that the John Malkovich character does dress like him. That's but otherwise, very fair. even in, at his most reasonable points, this version is, is not reflective of John Malkovich at all. Yeah. Um, and Charlie Kaufman did say that he, he did not know how much... Uh, and 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 like how brave his performance would be because John Malkovich goes all in, and this is just—it's just so incredible. Especially the one scene where we would be remiss if we didn't mention the scene where John Malkovich goes into his own head, um, and he plays every character in there, and it is insane. I think is the best word and mo- most accurate word to describe it that's one of the best scenes in the movie in my opinion Mm -hmm. it's so good i love that part 
yeah, that John Malkovich actually told Kaufman and Spike Jones, like, okay, let's turn up the crazy. Like, if we're going to do this, I do want to go all in and actually ask them to, like, dial it up all the way when mm-hmm. it comes to him being freaky, which, like, yeah. I just have a lot of respect for someone that absolutely that would do this. Um, yes. This is we're kind of moving into some of my fun facts about mm-hmm. Malkovich in this film. So in the script, John Malkovich is like calling a showbiz buddy and like or talking to like a friend in the industry about the situation. Charlie Kaufman had written Kevin Bacon in the script as that friend, and Malkovich yeah. suggested instead that it be Charlie Sheen. Uh, Malkovich and Sheen were not friends in real life, and I don't <laughs> even think it actually met. So I thought that was really funny that he was like, oh, it shouldn't be Kevin Bacon. It should be Charlie Sheen. And like, he didn't actually, it's not because Charlie Sheen was his friend in real life. He just like thought that would be a good fit. He just wants to meet Charlie Sheen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another fun fact about John Malkovich is, which also like, I'm having so much fun saying that name over and over again. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. You you and everyone else in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So throughout the film, several characters recognize John Malkovich as a famous actor, but can't quite remember what he's been in. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times they cite like, oh, you played that jewel thief, which in 1999, when this film came out, John Malkovich had never played a jewel thief. Mm-hmm. But in 2003, in the film <laughs> Johnny English, he did play oh, a nice. <laughs> So it's fun to watch it now. When they're like, oh, you were a jewel thief. And he was like, no, that's not me. Because now, looking back, like he actually has played a jewel thief. So I like nice. that. Interesting. I wonder how intentional that was on the part. <laughs> like, I wonder if anyone on the Johnny English casting team um, had seen this movie and knew that that and they're was... they like, wouldn't uh, that be funny? Yeah. I highly doubt it somehow, yeah, but... Yeah, no. It, it was probably just a coincidence. When you're in as many movies as he is, like, you're gonna come across that sort of character eventually. Definitely. Um, there, uh... You brought up um, a couple questions that I think we should, we should answer. Um, the first one being, if this portal into John Malkovich's head was real, would you go into it? No, you came up with this question. I came in, I came up with this question? Yes, this was, this was in my the, question. Yeah, this was in the initial outline that you wrote. Oh. I just reordered it. Um, well, then I'm asking this question then. <laughs> it's a good question. I don't know. I If I found it without knowing what it was, I probably would. If I was someone close to the person who found it, like if I was the Lottie character or something, and I was mm-hmm. told about it, I might go into it, though I doubt I would go back a second time. But later they monetize it, and they advertise, like, go be someone else for 10 minutes, and they get right. random strangers off the street to pay money to go into John Malkovich's mind for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I would not do something like that. Yes. What about you? I agree. I would, I mean, I, I would be terrified, especially if I didn't know what it was, but I would be so morbidly curious mm-hmm. that I might have to eventually. Um, I would probably just do it to figure out if they were telling the truth. Right. Totally. Like, just because I'd be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And then I would yeah. do it just to see if it was real. But I don't think if they were like, if I had proof it was real and I was fully on board, I don't know if I would automatically be like, I need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 tough because, you know, there's the this aspect is like not one that that people talk about usually uh, when it comes to this movie. Well, okay, I can't say that for sure. I haven't read a lot of discourse about this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But like the moral implications of everything, like the moral implications of 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 going into someone's head uh, and and basically seeing them. And then, of course, the moral implications of of John Cusack, of Craig taking over John Malkovich's body fully. for a long period of time um but there is there is that to consider too but i understand why they don't really um delve into it in the movie because that's not on any of these characters minds like that is Mm -hmm. like that like they are thinking of how do i use this 
first and foremost and not is this morally okay to do because uh, like these characters are all kind of scummy anyway yeah um, so that so that does make sense and like this situation brings out the worst in them i think mm-hmm. which is which 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 makes the characters a, a lot more interesting definitely yeah i like the place that it goes to where the audience is forced to ask these like moral philosophical questions but the characters don't like they're not concerned about it they're concerned it's like yeah how can i use this to my advantage which i think is cool that they're like oh let's monetize this immediately and there's not like and they they deal with their own like when lottie goes in Mm -hmm. she kind of reckons with maybe my gender and sexual identities aren't exactly what i thought they were having inhabited this man's body and like felt empowered by it like it causes her to think about herself but there's Mm -hmm. not really a point where they're like are we violating this man's privacy like they're all immediately like no let's let's meet him in real life and seduce him and like uh there it's all sorts of they don't think about the ethics of it definitely not um yeah it's 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 just so so interesting and we did bring up this this movie in our queer cinema episode a few weeks ago um so 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 go listen to that um i don't did did we delve into it too much there uh or do we say we leave it for for this episode <laughs> i genuinely can't remember we we talked about it we didn't delve to we didn't delve into the movie very much but we did talk right. about the aspects of like how queerness and transness are brought up which yeah. i would not like i don't think this movie is inherently like i don't think charlie kaufman wrote this for it to be like any sort of study of gender identity but i do think the premise that involves experiencing reality in someone else's body and brain that is different than your own can be a pretty trans way to think about things and also two women begin a romantic and sexual relationship while one of them is in john malkovich's body yeah and it's kind of the like i'm in love with you as a person but i'm only interested in you when you're in malkovich's body because Mm -hmm. i'm attracted to him and not you and then there's kind of reconciling with that so that's all explored and that's why we have we talked about it in the queer cinema podcast when you mentioned it while we were watching the movie, I thought that it was going to be like a more of an interpretation thing than anything else. But that was, but those were like they very clearly stated. Wadi is like what what was going this on. This changed it was much my life. I think I'm a transsexual. I and thought, Rowan was yeah. like, I didn't think it would be that. Yeah. <laughs> incredibly overt. Like I right. didn't think they would directly touch on it. Yeah. Um, which I'm 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 glad they do. Like it's like. Uh, you know they're not skating past it and they're not ignoring it like it's something that the characters are thinking of um and i think that's really cool in like in like 90s terms <laughs> yeah yeah and like you know it's not it's not like there's a big discussion on that or it becomes any more than just that mentioned but i do like the idea that like this woman enters this man's body and feels empowered in a way that she isn't in her own life and relationship. And one of her potential conclusions is, oh, am I more comfortable as a man than a woman? And mm-hmm. I don't think that's where it ultimately lands. I, d- I do think it ends up being more of like an empowerment thing and also a sexual attraction to another woman type right. of thing. But I do like that that is even mentioned as a possibility Definitely. because- you know, I think if it hadn't been mentioned, that would be an interpretation I would have. Definitely. Is like, is is this person trans, you know? Yes. Anyway. Um, could we save the next question for last? Yes. I um, have another question for you, though. Yes, definitely. Um, If someone enjoyed this film, yeah. do you have any other recommendations for them? Like, any other films you think might be worth checking out if this is something that's up their alley? Hmm interesting question sorry this wasn't on our outline i'm just kind of springing you on this that's 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 pretty fair i mean i have seen a lot of movies so i would be one of the people to ask this um i would say uh the truman show is Mm. one of them uh if 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 we're if we're talking about like surreal movies uh in which like there is just something off and you're not sure what although in the truman show of course it's it's incredibly different yeah um, what is off um 
sorry to bother you i think is 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 a really uh, is also a really good one mm. um but also equally weird if not much more weird um wow. barbie i mentioned barbie i think is a good one um royal tenenbaums maybe uh that that has you know that's that's one of those wes anderson movies where like something is like the characters are acting a certain way and that sort of removes it from our reality um which yeah. is which happens in a lot of wes anderson movies but this one especially because this one has um so many characters that are so intertwined with each other and so that's what makes it jump mm-hmm. out to me here um uh, those yeah. would be my recommendations those are good picks i so a big one is adaptation like if you like well, oh yeah yeah. If you like this, another Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones collaboration, that this one is not quite as surreal. Like it it's not as it's not as bonkers the throughout, but especially at the end, and like when you start thinking about the real world, how did this movie get made? It's very similar. Like there's a lot of like, oh my God, what was the process of making and writing this? Mm-hmm. And then the other one that I have, which I've got a a very fun fact about this, is yeah. uh, Get Out. Ooh. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, of course. Which actually, there were a ton of Get Out fan theories when the film came out. And a big one was that Catherine Keener's character in Get Out was the same as her character in Being John Malkovich. And that Get Out was effectively a Being John Malkovich sequel Mm -hmm. um and that the her daughter in that was the daughter in being john malkovich Mm -hmm. from the end so jordan peele actually addressed this and he said oh wow i love this theory i have heard this theory it's definitely not lost on me that i was able to get katherine keener in her second like weird perspective living in someone else's brain movie we joked about that and i'm a huge fan of the movie being john malkovich i also sat down with spike jones a couple of months ago and told him this theory myself and he chuckled so as far as i'm concerned it's true so he said that in a video for vanity fair so Of course, Get Out is not intended to be connected to being John Malkovich, but Jordan Peele loved this connection and has said that he's decided it's canon now. Yeah, yeah, why not? Get Out is like a legacy sequel. That's one of those like fun, you know, fun like headcanon things that like doesn't have to necessarily add up fully, but it is, it's just fun to think about. Yeah, well, and also like, I think the two Catherine Keener characters don't act completely out of character in those two films in terms of like a through line. Mm-hmm. And they have this, the surreal elements are pretty similar just in completely different contexts right. and different tones. Absolutely. And so I think that's really cool. And also if you like this and you want, uh, a different kind of tone of movie, but with interesting themes. Get Out is a good, yeah, a good one to watch. This is making me want to rewatch Get Out. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's uh, briefly go over the Academy Award history for this movie. I did mention that Catherine Keener uh, was nominated uh, for; she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, uh, but this was also nominated in 2000 at the 72nd Academy Awards for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay as well. Mm-hmm. So Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman getting recognized um, for that. Um, in terms of uh, other nominations, Spike Jones has been nominated for four Oscars. Um, and uh, all of the rest are for her. Um, but uh, and that was over ten years after this. Um, and let me check Charlie. I didn't write down Charlie Kaufman's for whatever reason. Uh, he has been all nominated four times um, for uh, being John Malkovich um, and uh, adaptation, which is technically was that best adapted screenplay. Yes, yes. Um, which I think is crazy that it, you know, on a technicality, falls into that category. One um, of the most inventive adaptations of a piece of source material that I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, he was nominated for Best Original Screenplay again for Eternal Sunshine and for Best Animated Feature for Anomalisa in 2015, mm-hmm. uh, which he wrote and directed as well. Um, but anyway, uh, 2000 was the big year, uh, was the year where American Beauty won big, uh, and it won two of the three Oscars uh, that... Um, well, I guess two of the Oscars that it competed uh, against being John Malkovich in, which were screenplay and director, um, but not uh, like it wasn't nominated for three Oscars in total. Um, and for uh, Best Supporting Actress, Angelina Jolie won that year for Girl Interrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Catherine Keener was nominated alongside Tony Collette, Samantha Morton, and Chloe Savini. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her, her last name correctly. It's French, I think. Um, and, uh, best director, Sam Mendes won for American Beauty, but he was competing against Spike Jones, um, Lasse Hallstrom for the Cider House Rules, Michael Mann for The Insider, and M. Night Shyamalan for The Sixth Sense. So an interesting lineup that year. Uh, best original screenplay, Alan Ball won for American Beauty, also a pretty heavy category, um, nominated against Kaufman, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson for Magnolia, Shyamalan for The Sixth Sense, and Mike Lee for Topsy Turvy. So bit... Bit of an odd, a uh, bit bit of an odd year, but not the uh, the strangest. You think American Beauty should have beat this. No, in terms of screenplay, absolutely not. Maybe not in terms of directing either. I feel like American Beauty definitely the screenplay is weaker than being John Malkovich, and I think weaker than multiple other screenplays you listed in that category. Yeah. Though to be fair, we are multiple decades removed, and that movie has aged so poorly i mean yeah i mean the academy becomes obsessed with a movie in any given year and then they just heap praises upon it and then all quiet on the western front well okay okay but that didn't win best picture you know i know but it it did win 30 other categories yeah i mean it it won all the technical ones um so did so did dune the year before but like and a, a lot of the times those movies not, not not actually not a lot of the time some of the time those movies don't age particularly well like driving miss daisy in 89 dances with wolves <laughs> in 90 um and you know american beauty like it's crash i don't think i don't think anyone likes crash in general um but i think like it's it's very interesting looking back over 20 years later and seeing you know with our modern perspective what is what is the movie that we think should win or um sh- or 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 should have won back in the day um but yes anyway. this one definitely holds up better yes than american beauty absolutely i'd say it holds up pretty well there's like a couple of moments where you're like oh you know you're right but yeah. nothing I would say the worst is there's a joke with the R slur in reference to Of Mice and Men. Right. Where a character, I think, just uses the R slur as many times as he possibly can while talking to John Malkovich. I think that's probably, like, the worst thing. This is one of those films where, like, all the main characters are kind of pieces of shit. Yeah. But it's not one that... Like, you know, sometimes you'll see movies about a main character that is not to be emulated, and you see people, like, idolizing him, you know? Yeah. Like, like Scott Pilgrim and stuff like that, where, like, just, there's a camp of people that classically kind of misinterpret and don't seem to see that the main character is actually supposed to not be <laughs> a great guy. Yeah. I think Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones and the wardrobe department and also John Cusack do a great job of like making the piece of shit main character just like such a loser. Right. <laughs> like there's no wanting to emulate him or like yeah. Like all the characters that are bad human beings and behaving in terrible ways, it's very clear, which I like. That helps yeah. it hold up really well. That yeah, they they kind of hammer at home like so much so many times (laughs) yeah and it's funny to me yeah so anyway i I like this the screenplay i like the film i think it holds up pretty well yeah um should we move on to the final question do you have more fun facts you want to get to before i have a couple more fun facts um this i thought was cute so craig discovers that uh lester corp the company he's working for is on the seven and a half floor of the um 
the Merton Flemmer building by seeing a seven and a half on the director in the lobby. And the moment that that happens is actually at the seven and a half minute point of the film, mm. which I think that's a really cool thing to do to time yeah, it like that. Really interesting. Um, And then the last fun fact I had, this is crazy. So in the first draft of the script, so at the end, this is a spoiler. I would say skip like 30 seconds to a minute if you are thinking of watching this movie because this is um this is something that happens pretty late in the film. So in the first draft, Lester and his friends that are trying to use the Malkovich portal as a means to extend their lives and like all go live in it together in a consciousness, that wasn't in the first draft. Instead, they were trying to use the portal as a plot to take over the world in the name of Satan. And Satan was the Flemmer in the Merton Flemmer ah. building. And also in that draft, the Cameron Diaz character has sex with Elijah, her pet monkey. Oh, interesting. So that's a fact that I thought was really funny. Why didn't they, <laughs> Why didn't Why didn't they, they keep, keep that? <laughs> Crazy. Oh, yeah, I think it was the right call to cut the monkey sex scene. I think it might have detracted. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So those are the last fun facts I had that weren't mentioned by one or both of us earlier. Love it. Um, Anyway, do you want to do you want to pose your final question? Yes. So my idea was if we were if this movie was getting made in the year 2023, which actor do you think would be the John Malkovich part? This is really interesting because John Malkovich, I mean, you know, Charlie Kaufman apparently chose them because of how his name sounds when said over and over. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think John Malkovich as an idea at the point that this movie was made. And honestly, still today is like, He's an actor that a lot of people recognize either by face or, or by name, but he's not like he's not an an A-lister. He hasn't been in a hundred projects. He hasn't been in like Marvel movies or anything. He's not like the biggest possible movie star. But like people kind of like a know, franchise guy. Exactly. But people kind of know who he is. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my um a lot of my picks sort of reflect that. Some of my picks are like too big for that, but I wanted to shout them out anyway. I I have a very similar thing. Yeah. Was that your... I would I would just love to see these people in this type of movie. Yeah. Uh, so my criteria was I thought about one like I had some that came to mind that I was like, "Oh, they could pull this part off." And then I was like, "No, they are too big and too recognizable. It wouldn't really work." I did factor in the name thing. I did try to think of like whose name sounds fun enough that like Malkovich could be repeated or just like has like that, you know, it's got like, like a nice, a nice rhythm to it. Yeah. And then I also thought who would agree to do this like right. who would be down and could give a good performance. I think and all so, of the people I chose fall into that category as well yeah so i have some that i thought of and then i i am gonna talk about but didn't really work for some reason and i i came to one conclusion as who i think is my favorite of my answers interesting do you want to go first or do you want me to? yeah should i just sort of like run through mine yeah well and you can talk about like who you think is the best fits out of your list and why or like why you think certain ones are worth mentioning but ultimately maybe not the right call Right. Because I have some I'm going to put you side by side with this because I want to see your reactions when I say some of these names. Okay. Um, Honestly, today, if this movie was was made today, this is not my, like, final pick. I don't know if I have a final pick, but um, John Malkovich, I think, could still work. Like, his standing in society and the film industry is, I think, pretty much the same as it was before this movie came out. I agree. I agree. The yeah. only difference is he's probably too old now. Right. Yeah, totally. But other than that, I, I do agree that I think he could still do it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of mine are technically too old. Um, but I did try to pick people that I didn't think were too old because yeah. I thought of some and then I was like, well, that, that he's like John Malkovich's age. Right. Anyway, like um, Nicolas Cage, too big a name, too old, would fucking kill this role. He was my first thought. And then yeah. I had those same things. He's written on my list, 
And then I said, I was, because I was like, he's the right type of actor, but he's too well known. Right. Yeah, totally. Anyway, but Um, based on the things I've seen him in recently, he could deliver a fantastic performance in a film like this. I mean, he did, you know, he did did in adaptation. Yeah. And, and, and he did a very meta one with recently with unbearable weight of massive talent as well. So we know that he's willing to go super all out with these like crazy. Yeah. And to play a caricature of himself, stuff like that. Yes. For those Um, exact reasons, he was one of like one of my very first thoughts. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get really meta, uh, meta, meta with it, uh, John Cusack, uh, I think would also be a fun choice. Also too old, um, but I think he 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 would also do a great job. Um, yeah, I like playing that. this weird type type of character. Um, <laughs> Tommy Wiseau, if he were a younger man, he he couldn't do the. He's too old and couldn't pull off the performance. I think... Like, you have to be a good actor to do this. I think he could pull off the the performance. Because it would be written very specifically with him in mind. Um, But, anyway. I don't think he could do, like, Lottie in his body. Probably not. I think he would just do what he always does. And I think that that might be even funnier. It'd Um, be funny, but the movie wouldn't be as good, I don't think. True, true. Um, John Hamm... I think would be a fun mm. one as well. Uh, Stanley Tucci, the Tooch. Mm. Um, Tilda Swinton, I think could be a fun one. Um, oh, interesting. I didn't write any women down. Yeah. Just because of the gender dynamics in play. Right. But yeah, I Tilda do Swinton like that. was the only woman that I wrote down. Um, and um, uh, Michael Shannon, I think could mm. be an interesting one because he's a character actor, like not a massive name, but enough people know him uh, yeah. that I think he, he, he could be fun as well. And uh, Paul Dano, He's on I my think, list too. I think he would be so good. Especially I think he's because the he's right proven, level of famous. Exactly. And he's proven time and time again, especially in the last 10 years, that he is willing to do anything. Yeah, he's willing to do a lot. And I think he's got the range for it because you kind of have to do range yes. to do all these different versions of yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think, and I think he'd be on board. So he was one of yes. mine as well. Yep. Uh, those are my picks. Okay, so I'll start with some of the ones that I like came up with because I was like, ooh, these people would be so down to do it. And then I was like, they'd be down to do it, but they are either too big or I don't think their performance would be too re- would be quite right. So I was like, Jack Black, he'd be down. And then I said, no, he's too like campy. Like, yeah. he's too goofy with it. And I don't think it would work with a goofy actor. Same with like James Marsden. His stuff in Jury right. Duty, he's willing to play himself and go crazy with it but i think he might be too campy in his performance so i was like "Eh, i don't know i also think someone like daniel craig would do something like this Mm -hmm. but then i was like he was james bond like he's too big Mm -hmm. daniel radcliffe similar boat would do something like this i think would do a really good job too recognizable true also elijah wood in that exact (laughs) same category i think could do great too recognizable and then I was like, okay, Paul Dano could do it. I could see someone like Alexander Skarsgård doing it. I think yeah. he could do a good job. Same with Mads Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. And those two, I like their names. Yeah. I also think Kevin Bacon could do... <laughs> in Guardians, he played himself. Yeah. I think Dave Bautista has the range to do a role like this and yeah. is the right amount of recognizable. But the... One I finally settled on as I think my favorite of my answers that I'm pretty proud of. He's got the goofy name. He is very recognizable without being a household name and without being like so well known that. And then also in a recent project, he played himself a fictionalized version of himself and went like fucking off the walls bonkers. I don't know if you've seen Dave, but. If you just watch his episode of Dave, he goes, he is a lot. I think Don Cheadle would do a Uh, really good job in this part. So that was my final pick. I think Uh Cheadle's the right goofy of a name. And and I think he could pull it off. So Don Cheadle was my ultimate answer. That is a good one. But I do think there there are a lot of people that could do a fun performance in this. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is, those are two pretty solid lists, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not bad, not bad, not bad. Yeah. Um, anyway, anything else to to add before we wrap up here? I think this is a movie that everyone should watch. Definitely. It's kind of like 
I don't know, like it's not it's not a super mainstream pick necessarily, but it is like well known in the mainstream. Like it's mm-hmm. not so out of nowhere that it's hard to like. It's well regarded and it's different than a lot of films that you might see. Like it it was made 20 plus years ago and it still feels super inventive and unique um and you can't say that about a lot of movies that took like super big swings yeah um from that from that time period and if you are into surrealism at all this is like one of the biggest like if you're looking up surrealist movies being john malkovich is on every list yeah as it um and it's it's a pretty decent starting point for surrealism like the plot like i am a big fan of like greener grass which is another a smaller surrealist comedy that one goes crazier when it comes to the comedy and also the plot is a lot harder to follow and like looser like things happen and you're like i don't even know what's really happening whereas Mm -hmm. being john malkovich you can follow what's happening like there is a narrative that you're pretty much on track with the whole time yes but it yeah. still is like totally surrealist. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's a very good starting point. And like, look it up if you're curious, but don't go too deep because this is uh, like a movie that you want to experience, as I, like we said at the top of the show, that you want to experience first. Um, yeah, so check, yeah. check, check, uh, check this movie out. And I hope <laughs> that uh, if you haven't seen it, that you enjoyed our episode on it. Also, if you want us to do a deep dive like this on other films, yes, hit one of us up on Instagram or Twitter or something like that. Or maybe both, if you want. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. uh, I had fun with this, and I'd be yes. open to this format more. Me as well. Um, where are those Instagram and Twitter accounts? Man. So yeah, you can find me Instagram, Letterboxd, at Davy Mjolnir, and Twitter, Davis underscore Maths. What about and you, I'm, Rowan? Um, I'm Rowan Aboat on Instagram and on Letterboxd, uh, and Bits of Joel on Twitter if you want to find us there. Um, yeah, let us know. Let us know what you think of the show in general. Yeah. Leave a um, review. Yes, please. Apple Podcasts. It helps a lot, or so I'm told. <laughs> um, thank you all out there for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Runtime, babe. Love you. Mwah.